Welcome to On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by Chris Nee and Josh Newberg. The fellas are going to go over uh, passion projects that they did this past week. For Chris, that was covering baseball. For Josh, that was driving to and from various areas in Tampa on a wild goose chase to try to find coaches to talk to and sit around aimlessly for hours. So I feel like this is very on brand for both of you guys. Welcome to On the Bench. How's it going? It's great. Good to be here. <laughs> Glad we could get that out of the way. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy everyone's Same doing time. great. Yeah, it's beautiful. Great synergy right now. All right, guys. So we're in the doldrums of uh, yeah that, that weird downtime in between signing day and spring practice. So uh, we have been able to find a few things I think that are interesting and noteworthy that kind of keep plugging along here with on the bench. Uh, some some tidbits to to go through today's episode. And the one I'm very interested to get to early on here is Josh's. Uh, Josh's experience at a recent coaches meet and greet in Tampa. FSU's coaching staff has been under Mike Norvell going to different areas, uh, Orlando, Jacksonville, Miami, Boca, to to basically set up shop at a hotel uh, at a hotel to meet different coaches, come in and, and have a social hour with them and get to meet them. So, Josh, uh, let's start from the beginning. You uh, drove to the hotel in Tampa. You're based in St. Pete on the wrong day. Do I have that correct? Initially? No, I was just getting prepared. If anybody knows me, they know I'm a man of preparation. And um, I just drove there on Friday to make sure that that hotel indeed existed. And it did. And I went back Saturday, which was the correct day of the event, and um, drove to the AC Hotel. It's a Marriott. It's a new Marriott Hotel in Tampa. I wasn't real familiar with it, but it's over by the airport off Boy Scout. And um, they were having a meet and greet, like you said, from 2 o'clock until 5 o'clock. The Florida State staff sets up shop, invites all the local coaches, anybody that wants to come by, to come meet them and greet them, just as it sounds. And I arrived about 2.05. Wasn't sure how formal or informal it was going to be. I wasn't sure if there was a check-in desk or if I was even going to be allowed to walk in or, you know, how it was going to go. So arriving, and I just immediately saw how informal it was. Um, Basically, by 2.05, I, I, I spotted about 25 to 30 coaches there. Mike Norvell was already chatting it up with five or six of them. There was no formal addressing of the, of the crowd. There was no speeches given. It was simply gather around this big-ass bar, have a beer, here's some food, whatever you guys want to talk about. We're here to talk about it for the next three hours. And I watched um, the coaches just kind of make their way around the room. Yeah, some of the teams that I spotted, and this is not a list of everybody. I want to make that clear. I did. I definitely didn't spot everybody that was there. Here's a quick rundown of what I saw: Armwood High School, East Lake, Plant City, Jefferson, Pinellas Park, Boca Ciega, Berkeley Prep, Manatee, Countryside, Plant, and Hillsboro. Um, you, you, you listing Armwood just then, Josh, evoked some uh, some polarizing feelings among our listeners. I'm sure. I'm sure. And the funny thing about it is I took a photo and posted it on the Knowles 24 seven message board with like my, my recap of the day. And I zoomed in on the photo after I posted it and I saw Mike Norvell and he's actually speaking to Evan Davis of Armwood in the one photo that I took uh, head coach, Evan Davis and, and head coach, Mike Norvell are, are speaking in a group. And I'll be honest, a lot of the teams that were represented brought three or four coaches and most of them had their head coach there. Um, Yusef Shakur, even from from Manatee High School, made the drive up there, saw him. Um, Kenny Crawford of Pinellas Park High School, coach of Lords Toa Philly, he was there. Um, 
Plant sent three representatives. I don't know who the next head coach at Plant's going to be, but um, but they were there. Hillsborough, it was it was great to see. By far the biggest turnout that Florida State's had on the short run of meet and greets. Um, we heard from the Dade County one, which was also the first one that they did. There was literally a handful, maybe six, seven coaches there. Um, the second one they did in Boca was better than that. There was 18, maybe 20 coaches there. Didn't get a report from the Orlando one, but I'm sure it did well. And then this one. I, I, I had a friend go and he okay, said it was really productive. And yes, he, he said Norvell was really, really energetic and kind of the same things we've heard with other ones. Yeah, it was a good turnout. Yeah. And then this one, um, I stayed for an hour. When I left, there was 50 people there. So that was, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that the one in Miami Dade drew about 10 people generously. And then this one has probably over 50 people at it. So word spreading, Mike Norvell and his staff are settling in. I wouldn't blame looking back on it. I wouldn't blame the Dade County turnout due to the, due to the infamous committee. (laughs) I would say it's more due to just the fact that these meet and greets have been a success. They've had more time to market them. They've had more time to tell the coaches on social media to get to them. And, um, you know, this one in Tampa just showed just that. Hey, be, before we get into a little bit more details on that, I was thinking, Josh, so you, you went and did your scouting in Tampa. How much time would you say that was on, on the day before on Friday? Cause, cause I got, cause I got a, I got a theory on you here. And it's, it's I was over there theory. for maybe, maybe a total of an hour with drive time and everything. Okay. I want Chris's thoughts on this. Chris, have you noticed that Josh is a colossal time waster and not in the sense like I would think Josh would just kind of be staring up at the clouds or the like the Blue Jays in his yard or whatever, wasting time. But no, that dude spends, I don't know how many hours driving to places to not get anything done. Uh, this going is down a to, recent streak. This getting, is da- recent. getting down but, yeah. to Venice to not get Malachi Weidman. I think we were going to have him meet at our hotel to record a podcast at IMG uh, this past camp. And we sent him to the wrong hotel like 30 minutes away. So how much time have like, that's right then. And there's like three hours of Josh's life that he's wasting doing absolutely nothing. That's his favorite thing to do. I just, I didn't want to share his secret, but his new year's resolution was in fact to waste even more time. doing nothing. Hold on, <laughs> He's off to a great start. Didn't we have a conversation? Didn't we both, weren't we on the phone like on Tuesday or Wednesday and said that the, I'm not blaming you for it, but didn't we both <laughs> on Friday? Wait, what now? Didn't we both have a conversation and say it was on Friday? I don't know, man. I, I know you, I believe you tried to call me when you were going to it today when it wasn't actually happening. And I was at maybe Hoops interview. Baseball, I think it was. I don't know. And but yeah. I walk out and see a text of it's tomorrow and just start <laughs> laughing. So I could have saved you in the moment, but I was <laughs> nah, it, it was fine. You know what I think it was? It was on the 15th. And for some reason, I was confusing 15th with Friday all week. Like Oh, because the, the F and 5. That's how my. <sighs> I don't know. I don't, but it it wasn't bad. And I, I did enjoy my time there. I'm glad I went. I'm glad I got to see the coaches. Um, I did speak briefly with, with Mike Norvell, uh, Alex Atkins and, and, um, Kenny Dillingham. But one of the things that I think I, I, that stuck out the most to me was Adam Fuller's relationship with the coaches in the area. He was holding court, right? He was holding court. It wasn't that he was like all the coaches did a great job of holding court. You know, they'd all have at any given time, three, four, five coaches, high school coaches around them. But the energy was just different when Adam Fuller would walk up 
And I could see coaches re- really just buddy buddy with him more so than the shaking of the hands, a lot of hugs when he would come around. And um, I pulled off to the side and I was speaking with Dillingham very briefly. And I said, so this is your area, like Tampa St. Pete's you. And, and, and he goes, no, 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 I'm everything south of here. So he meant from Bradenton IMG all the way down to Naples and into Broward County. So it made sense. I was like, oh, so does Fuller have this area? And he's like, yeah. And it made sense. He it, he must have had this area. I think um, I checked with I talked to Fish with um, Elite Scouting, and he said that Fuller recruited the Tampa Bay area for Marshall. Marshall makes so that sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you can just tell the bond between him and these local coaches was different. A lot of those guys were meeting these coaches for the first time, where Fuller had a, a, a longstanding relationship. So now I understand more on why he has uh, the whole Tampa Bay area. When we spoke to Fuller, Nee, you remember when we got Fuller for the first time? I don't remember if it was the formal press conference or maybe shortly after he had talked about recruiting Florida. And he mentioned Doc Holliday at Marshall as being someone who like really helped him to be comfortable in recruiting like a fertile area like Florida. And I guess in this case, Tampa. Do you remember that specifically, Nee? Yeah, he talked about Holiday. He also talked about Chuck Heater, who's a longtime guy in Florida. It's clear that he's worked down here before and is familiar with it. And, you know, areas like that, Tampa's actually an area where the coaching community, compared to most in Florida, is actually fairly stable. There's a lot of turnover in the state for coaches. You know, if you're good, you tend to leave the state or get a private job because it pays better. But Tampa's one of those areas where it's been fairly stable in comparison to most. Obviously, Wiener leaving plant changes that dynamic some, but you know, maybe somebody like Puckett or one of the longtime assistants at Plant gets that job. So I think it's good to have a guy that has built that relationship with head coaches and assistants. You know, Armwood's head coach is a former assistant. So there's some carryover from when Adam dealt with him previously. Every interaction that I've had with Coach Fuller or hearing about him uh, through the lens of others has been impressive so far. Uh, he's checking all the boxes. I'm really curious to see. I'm how never saying that again. I doubt that. I've very, it. I very much so doubt that. Well, he's sensitive about it, Josh. But but uh, Fuller is very very buttoned up. I'm fairly convinced, like he has like pretty close to a photographic memory. You listen to him talk about recruits, and he's able to remember names of like principals at high schools he's recruiting the mat, like just off the top of his head, uh, really really effortlessly. And and people he obviously has had relationships with for a very long time. So he's a really bright, sharp guy. Uh, and I think I'm. Well, I don't think I'm interested. I know I'm interested in seeing what his defense does this year uh, with a hybrid uh, four-two-five. All right, Josh. Anything else on the uh, on the meet and greet? Uh, no, not particular. Oh, the one little detail that I found productive was they had um, small, bigger than business cards, smaller than an, you know a regular piece of paper, but it had the um, it was a laminated card with the schedule for the spring practices and um, any future coaching clinics on it, and they were handing those out. I thought that was a great touch because if these coaches came out to this event in Tampa, um, they're more than likely to probably, you know, a good percentage of these guys are going to come up at some point during the spring, especially if you're welcoming them with open arms and willing to teach them. And and maybe, you know, they can take away something from one of your practices. It looks like uh, this is floating around on social media. So nothing super behind the scenes here, but the coaching socials during the spring, they have one on March 6th, March 10th, March 24th, March 31st, April 3rd, April 7th, and April 14th. That's a morning practice. And then, uh, and then you get a social at 6 30 PM it's free to attend. So, and I'm sure there's stuff in between then as well. So the staff is working really diligently to form a good relationship with coaches in the region. Obviously that was a, 
can we say an area of concern? It was an unknown uh, how how the staff would do recruiting Florida, and it still is. But you see, they're making attempts to to gain inroads. Which curious to get your guys' thoughts. I, I think it's an encouraging aspect of of what we're seeing early on in the Norvell era. Yeah, an open door policy is a beneficial thing for them. They need to build relationships. They're not going to recruit off of success initially. I mean, even if they do have some this season, they exceed expectations. They're still not going to be the best team in the state, more than likely. Certainly not the best team in the league. You know, they're not in that caliber of team. So relationships is where they're going to have to win early on. And the key is getting where, you know, Josh and me will both tell you, the key to get a kid up here is who's bringing the kid up here. And so often it will be a head coach or an assistant coach or someone tied directly to the high school program who is a person that will transport that person. If they, if that school and those people feel there's an open door policy for them, they will come. And I think that's something that with the last staff at times, it wasn't always so welcoming. And I think this staff's going above and beyond to try to be welcoming. And I think it's just an intelligent move. It's very common sense based, but it will, should benefit them. And one, one point to the invite, I noticed a RSVP email for coaches and an RSVP email for former players. So there's two ways to, you know, RSVP, you can be a coach or you can be a former player. It's just interesting that, you know, they kind of reach out and want to draw that line and say, like, if you are a former player and you want to come, all you got to do is email us here. Yeah, and it's organized in that regard. Carl's Laughlin is who's going to deal with the high school types. Um, he's a high school liaison, for lack of a better term, for FSU. And then Jeff Cupper, who's a director of football operations type. I think he's player personnel is his technical title at FSU. He will help deal with the former players. And it's important to improve those those relationships. Well, we saw the Derek Brooks and the Peter Wards and those types around. I don't know that all of the former players felt as welcomed by the last staff. It's important for FSU to build as many bridges as humanly possible. And to Chris's point, before we move on, I, I know some former coaches also felt kind of isolated under the last regime. And uh, we, we know what they did, obviously, with getting Mickey Andrews involved and having Coach Bowden came back. That was really impressive. But seems like the work of having a continue open-door policy, if that remains consistent throughout the Norvell era, will be something that's that's popular amongst a lot of FSU supporters. Uh, moving on, guys, I won't spend a ton of time on this. Last topic before we take a break. Some, uh, some nerdy stats are out. The uh, Football Power Index from ESPN and the S&P Plus from Bill Connolly of ESPN both came out with uh, preseason predictions. Obviously, uh, these are metric based, so they're they're rooted in uh, things like returning production for the S and P Plus. They have recent recruiting trends involved. Uh, the rosters aren't set yet, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of variables still to this. But FPI has FSU ranked 23rd. S and P Plus has FSU ranked 26th. Obviously, these are both uh, substantial gains from where FSU was uh, at the end of last season. I think in the in the FPI, that's almost like a uh, almost like a double jump. I think they were like 51st. So, so it's moving up quite a bit, Chris, you're more of a math guy than Josh is. No offense, Josh. Take any weight into what these numbers are saying or trends, anything like that. I mean, I think there'll be a better coach bunch who will maximize what they have. But as I said, on the last time I was on the podcast, looking at that roster at tour of duty, it's not all that good. And save it, big boy. Save it. We got some offensive players to talk about on the second part of the podcast. And the O-line's obviously a concern. So Mm, I I hesitate to believe they're going to make some significantly 
impressive jump. I do think they'll be a better team. I think they'll be a better coach team. I think they're certainly going to be a better organized team. That probably equates to some more victories than we've seen in recent years. I just don't know if I think they're a team that's going to be on the cusp of being a top 25 team. Now, for what it's worth, these metrics don't take in like a like a new coach. I don't believe there's no way to really quite quantify that. So, yeah, we don't know what if there is improved coaching. Like, I think a lot of us are optimistic there will be. Uh, we don't even know what kind of impact that is. This is more showing what FSU's talent level is, uh, what they have with guys coming back, returning production, uh, what the cap of, of what the program can be this season. Uh, it's been like four or five years of FSU. Nice, dude. It's been four or five years of FSU underachieving based on these preseason rankings and predictions. Uh, so what you're looking for is uh, hopefully that Mike Norvell and company can get FSU in that top 25 range this year uh, based on what they have coming back, based on the talent pool. While it is less talent than we're used to seeing, probably still saying this should be a top 30 team. It isn't that much of a stretch, maybe even top 25. That's what these numbers are saying right now. All right. No, I got to say the return production part is tough to swallow though, because you're, you're offensively banking on James Blackman, who I think it's fair to say is unreliable at this point. And you lost your running back who was literally the key to your running game with no proven running back. So where's the offensive production that I I guess because the stats exist, we have to recognize them, but like eh, we're staring at it in a, reality-based situation of what is this offense i i'm not you know i i know i know tomorrow and terry's really good i know if Keyshawn helton gets good he's going to be productive but like i don't look at the offense and think man they've got a real good offense returning i i think actually the polar opposite i think the offense leaves a ton to expect and that's where we're going to learn how much they can do with coaching and moving pieces around and maximizing what they do have at their disposal I just I hate the stat based idea of because this guy's thrown for X amount of yards, he holds this kind of value. When to me, Blackman's value has deteriorated in his career at FSU. And to some well, some context for that, Chris, I know that Bill Conley has written about this in the past, and he's still tinkering with that aspect of his formula. How do you weight returning production like the offensive line? He's he's basically come to a conclusion that we overvalue returning starts like as a cohesive line as being something that's super important where realistically it doesn't really carry over from one season to another. What does have a little bit more carryover is returning production on defense. When you have back a lot of guys who've played a lot of football, uh, that's helpful. Now, obviously FSU's defense uh, dealing with injuries last year underachieved uh, by a pretty significant margin. But I think that's where some of the, uh, the productivity is or some of the prediction of productivity in the future is coming from is that there's what eight or nine starters returning on defense and a lot of guys that had a lot of snaps last year coming back as well Uh, that's what i would imagine a lot of it's coming for because on offense like you said there's tbd like james blackman is a returning starter but the run game is basically unknown the offensive line does have a lot of questions even the receiving game like you you have tamorian terry coming back but you lose trey mckitty lose lose keith gavin uh, Gabe Neighbors. I mean, it's a little chunk of your passing game too that kind of is, is needs to be replaced. So, anyways, there's there's holes here. That's what they're saying. For it to be a top 25 team when your recruiting class has always been uh, in the top 20s uh, in a four year span does speak to there being some holes on the roster and what the numbers are seeing. All right, Josh, are you bored out of your mind? Nope. Yes. 
Okay. I don't believe you. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some uh, spring recruiting objectives, some uh, position previews. Chris is going to go over a baseball meltdown, and uh, and yeah, it'll be fun. And we're back on the bench. Um, you guys just heard the last commercial break. Well, we also got something going on on the podcast. You guys know we've been committed to this thing for over a year now. It's spreading like wildfire, and everybody's listening. So we want to open up to any local sponsors or local business owners, anybody that wants to maybe sponsor a segment on this podcast, uh, we'd love to speak to you. So send Brendan, Chris, or I an email or uh, just DM us on Twitter and we'll speak. So moving on, this weekend, baseball was back in Dick Hauser Stadium in Tallahassee. Um, Chris Nee, I believe Niagara was in town. And that it is didn't, correct. It didn't get off to a great start, though. <laughs> No, it did not. FSU lost game 1-3-1. They led one nothing for a vast majority of the evening, and that all fell apart in the ninth inning. Um, and people, man, they lost their mind. They thought Mike Martin Jr. era was never going to see a win. One baseball game, and they we, lost their damn minds. The word nepotism hasn't been used on a message board like that since the Jeff Bowden days. I mean, it was just, oh, oh my God. And it was a <laughs> tough game to watch. I mean, they didn't play well. Offensively, they were poor, no extra base hits. I think they banged three or four total hits on the evening. It was a nightmare start. Yeah, it, it was bad, and it happens. And Martin Jr. was clearly frustrated after the game and also chalked it up to first game. There's a lot of jitters. You know, he talked about trying to calm the team down beforehand. You know, CJ, the starting pitcher, kind of being a little wobbly early on and then settling in, pitched pretty well. CJ turned in a really good start. Truthfully, the pitching was very good. They went starter to middle reliever, setup man, all of that went really well. They went to their closer in the ninth, freshman Bryce Hubbard, lefty, very talented kid. He couldn't throw a strike. And then they run through four pitchers in the ninth, give up three runs, walk two of them in. The other one comes in on an infield single. It sucks. Like, it's not fun to watch. It was painful, and everybody left Hauser disgusted, and anybody that watched it was frustrated. They invested three hours in watching what they just watched. Well, they come back out, and they score 35 runs in the next two games, winning 24-4 and 11-1 over Niagara, taking the series. Some errors in there that need to be cleaned up. I think they banged 10 doubles, one home run in those two remaining games. So the hitting came a little bit to life, but they're going to struggle a bit at the plate. I think that's something that that expectation was set by the staff going into the season. I think we saw some of the concern with that over the weekend. So that's going to continue. But they looked like a team that could pitch, which was another thing the staff said they believed they would be able to do going into the season. So I think the bigger question is, is what we saw Friday night something we're going to see more of? Or was it just kind of an opening game, jitters, chalk it up to it, all, all of that stuff? We saw him run the pitchers back out there that struggled Friday night. That's Bryce Hubbard, Tyler Ahern, Davis here. They all pitched over the weekend again. All of them looked settled in, calm. Davis here had one come back at him, shook him for a minute, but he was fine. He calmed down and closed out a game. I, I wasn't overly concerned. Going into the season, we were told the pitching should be good. I think that is still true based on what we saw opening weekend. We were told the hitting would be a concern. I think that's certainly fair. There's pieces of the lineup that if they don't produce, you know, guys like Reese Albert, uh, Robbie Martin come to mind, Elijah Cabell and Cooper Swanson taking a next step, Neander DeSantis being reliable. If you don't get those things, they're going to struggle to put runs across. And then defensively, they need to be good defensively. And this weekend was eh, a mixed bag on that. Neander had a couple balls that got the better of him, had a bad throw. They can't have those. They they need to be a clean team in the field that can pitch and can scratch enough across and win games. 
you know, I think they're going to win two out of every three on average. I think that's who they're going to be during the regular season. They're going to have some games that are going to be frustrating where they don't hit very well and things don't go well. But, you know, I didn't take a ton from the opening weekend. I'm not going to take much from USF and Cincinnati this coming week when they host Texas Tech, who in some polls is currently number one, and FAU, who's a tournament-type team later a couple weeks from now. I think that's where we're going to learn what FSU's kind of made of in the early portion of the season schedule. At, at what point on Friday, Chris, did uh, did the message board start, the meltdown start? Like, at, at what point in the, in I, the game? I think it was Bryce Hubbard who took the mound in the ninth closer and couldn't throw a strike, especially on off-speed pitches around his <laughs> second batter and People started going, oh, God. And then when they walked the second run in, I think it was kind of complete. People just – it was – I mean, they didn't – it was a bad game. It was a bad baseball game to watch. It's not like Niagara played well and stole one or pitched really well and stole one. They pitched fairly decently, but FSU just couldn't hit. FSU had opportunities in that game. They seemed way too anxious at the plate at times. They didn't go oppo enough. There was just things about how they played that were underwhelming and unimpressive. And we didn't see those issues persist over the next two days. That was more one game off type thing. But I, I think people need to be prepared. They're going to lose some games in that manner this year. I just think that's who and what they are. The thing is, if they can field and pitch like I think they're capable of, they can still win a heck of a lot of games. All right, transitioning to Josh and I have been doing a spring inventory series, essentially. I'm looking at the positions and what FSU's returning, what it brought in in 2020. Josh is looking at recruiting. We're halfway through it right now. I've done quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive line. So everything on offense uh, to date. Josh, uh, as you've kind of gone through the uh, basically the needs on offense in this recruiting cycle, I guess what stood out to you the most? Like, what's the maybe the the most glaring position of need right now, and where do you think FSU has the most work to do for the rest of the cycle? Well, there's no question that offensive lines, you know, they got the most work to do. Luckily, they got a they got a good group of offensive targets on the board. Um, we've been kind of going through this, like you said, and laying out what the needs are, who's committed and kind of an overview of, of what the position recruiting is going to be moving forward. Um, I would say, well, the quarterback one was, was real easy to write because <laughs> they've already got their guy in Luke Altmeyer. Um, probably offensive line. You know, we harped on this really the last four or five years that they need to sign an impact high school offensive tackle. So once again, that is the goal. Um, like I said, there's a bunch of really good offensive linemen on the board right now. The dominoes haven't fallen from the top. Um, we'll see. I mean, I expect FSU to continue to offer guys. Um, the spring evaluation period is coming and then the summer camps while we have, we don't know really what the summer camps are going to be. We do know that they're going to hold them. Um, Hopefully FSU can land. I think an ideal number would be four this class. I think they could maybe take up to five. We'll see with attrition and all that. But this is the year they got to start rebuilding the offensive line. And and they did a, a good job of that during the um, during the transition class. But now they have all their resources. They have time and they have the ability to you know go out and, and land some guys. You hear Alex Atkins talk about the mm-hmm. the twenty twenty. Uh offensive line and every single one of the guys he mentions they signed four of them every single one he uses the phrase developmental Smart. developmental tackle developmental guard yeah he's setting expectations there uh, but, but he's also, right 
I'm not saying he, he is. I think it, it's indicative of what you have mm-hmm. coming back and, and to maybe not hold your breath that there's going to be an immediate impact player right away, which is tough to find along the offensive line. But that's why I want to get your guys' thoughts. Like when I'm looking at all the positions and doing the projected depth charts, I step away from the offensive line. I did this morning. I texted you guys and said, man, I don't know how to make this like look any more clean right now. Like this is, it is what it is. Darius Washington and Dante Lucas are both out probably for the entirety of the spring. Lucas definitely Washington. I'm not sure if he'll be partially available or not, but those are two of your better young players. They're out. I, like, I don't know where the strengths are. I like Devontae Love Taylor at tackle, but uh, other than that, I'm really, really concerned about the work and the reps they're going to be able to get in this, this spring right now. Cause there's, there's not a whole lot of solidified answers at all across the line. Yeah, I want to see how guys like Ira Henry, Chaz Neal, if any of them are ready to kind of take the next step. And I'm not saying be a huge piece of the puzzle, but at least be contributors, guys that can be relied upon. I'm I'm over a guy like Mike Arnold, for example. I just I don't need anything else from Mike Arnold. Um, I don't think he's a valuable piece of the roster moving forward. So I want to see that. But, uh, yeah, the O-line is going to be a weakness. I don't think there's any way of dancing around that. They're not going to be very good up front. I do think Alex Atkins is going into spring clean slate. He wants to see what those guys are. I'm sure he watched some of them, but I think he wants to see them for himself in person, how they work out, how they handle what he's asking of them, how they practice, how they approach their daily routine. And he's going to kind of go from there to kind of set the five. So I think it's going to be a very wide open group when we walk in the spring practice. And just looking across the board, like every position on offense, other than wide receiver, uh, man, there are, there are question marks. Chris, this is to your point earlier on, on some of the unknowns and talent and especially on offense, like on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know what they have at quarterback right now. I don't know what they have at tight end other than Cam McDonald. We think Wyatt Rector's moving over there to help out, but that's a walk on who's never played the position before, even if he does have uh, physical tools as an offensive line. And then running back is is still very much so in transition before they get some some help, some reinforcements. I, I'm really curious to see what the staff is going to do because right now the offense doesn't have a whole lot of, of raw talent on it. Yeah, I, mean, I, <laughs> that's, I know that's it. Yeah, yeah, we spent the whole podcast saying that, Brendan. <laughs> and now I'm saying it again. I'm capitalizing on the point. Yeah, there's there's concerns. There's issues. There's not a whole lot of like immediate answers right now. Yeah. It is what it is. How's it's that for uplifting? Almost, it's, it's almost like a recruiting class with no offensive skill talent comes back to bite you in the ass. Oh, imagine that. Imagine, imagine that. that. Wow. Wow. We were such trolls for pointing that out not even being hypercritical but just saying eh, this doesn't really happen all right before i start getting too petty and in my feelings <laughs> is that funny to you chris uh let's let's wrap this up do you guys have anything to add on this episode before we uh, before we end things oh josh do you want to tease what we have coming up this week without giving too much away <laughs> sure we're gonna flip over and do the defensive side of the ball i don't no, know if that's that, too much, <laughs> no, no, too that's much a, of a teaser I, yeah i don't think that's a tease no i'm saying on our next episode of on the bench we're gonna have a special guest on the next oh episode. yeah 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 <laughs> No, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very, it's very shocking that we're going to have a, a defensive preview series after we do the offensive side of the ball. Don't give too Spoiler. much away. Spoiler alert. Who's um, going to be the backup yeah. defensive tackle? But on, on Thursday, we're going to sit down and talk with an, somebody that's in the transfer portal. Let's just leave it at that. All we're right. going to sit down and talk with a transfer portal member 
and ask him what life is like living in limbo and just, um, you know, what it's like being courted when you're when you're in the portal. So I think it'll be an interesting episode. Yeah. And well, fingers crossed. You never know when you're dealing with with prospective recruits, how schedules can change. So let's just uh, let's hope that you that, definitely jinxed it. By I jinxed it. Uh, Sorry, guys. All right. Very fluid. It is. All right. We're on the bench uh, for Josh Duberg, for Chris Nee. I'm Brendan Sinone. Thanks for listening, everyone. We may have a fun podcast next time. We may not.